Hey, Shine Online fans, I'm Ellen Yin, podcast host of Cubicle to CEO. Our show brings you data-driven case study interviews so you can borrow one new revenue growth strategy every Monday from a top entrepreneur who has already tested the strategy in their own business and will show you how to implement what worked in yours. You'll also love my solo quarterly income reports where I transparently share exactly what my media company makes, spends, and profits every 90 days. Listen to episode 125 on Cubicle to CEO, where I break down how we made over $746,000 in 2021. You are listening to the Shine Online Podcast. Here's your host and my friend, Natasha Samuel. Hi, Sunshine. I'm Natasha, your host of the Shine Online Podcast and the CEO at Shine with Natasha, where I specialize in Instagram strategy and video storytelling. In this conversational podcast, I interview the brightest entrepreneurs I know and share my best Instagram strategies with the goal of empowering you to do business in a way that feels real to you. These conversations will bring you no fluff advice, honest conversations, and actionable strategies to help you shine online. There are so many bright brands in the online world, but there's always room for one more. Let's shine together. Welcome to the show, Allie. I am such a Hot House fan, like the biggest fan. I was literally geeking out to you before we started recording. So I'm so excited to chat with you. So welcome. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Okay. Well, I want to first introduce people to Oat House. So like, how did it come to be? How did you even come up with granola butter? Like its own entire type of butter and spread. Tell us the story. Yes, I know. It's such a weird idea. (laughs) When people first hear it, they're like granola butter. Like I used to do our whole foods demos, you know, a few years ago when we were just getting started and I would like race around, I was living in San Diego and I would like race from one demo to the next and just all day long be sampling to people, which for anyone listening, starting, you know, any kind of product, getting customer feedback in the beginning is so amazing. It's the hardest thing because people are savage and brutal, but it's kind of that tough love and that immediate feedback that you need to hear. But just, I would die. Like I was standing there because they're pretty boring. Like sometimes you'll go and it's like, you know, 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. So it's like all the retired people are there and it can be kind of slow. And so you're just like, you know, staring at the wall. So you kind of start to just watch people and, you know, be a little creepy. Cause also like behind the table, people, you kind of blend in, people don't know you're staring at them. So I would like watch people's faces as they were kind of approaching the table and they would see the sign, you know, and I just saw the wheels turning. Like they would say granola butter and they were like whispering to themselves and just their face would kind of contort into this. And I almost could read their minds. Like, what the fuck is that? You know, like another butter, like, do we really need another butter? So, but yeah, to answer your question, um, it really came out of my eating disorder recovery. So I struggled for over a decade with orthorexia, which for people who don't know is like an obsession with eating perfectly clean or healthy all the time. Um, binge eating, which was a result obviously of restricting myself from certain food groups and then exercise addiction. So I wouldn't consider myself, I tried to, you know, throw up a few times and really, I never felt like I was bulimic just because I couldn't follow through, I guess, with that act. Um, but I really purged through over-exercising, making myself work out, you know, to quote unquote, burn off what I ate the night before, et cetera. So 
since then, you know, my relationship with food has come so far. I can't explain to you just how beautiful my relationship with food is today. And I say that to give people listening hope because I know it can be a really scary, dark place. And I really felt for so long, like I was never going to crawl out of this hole. Like I thought inherently I, something was wrong with me. Like I was broken, you know, all of those thoughts. And so I really don't even think, I mean, I have a food company, but I don't really think about food in the way that I used to for sure. But, you know, today it's like, oh shoot, I'm hungry. I should grab something, you know, kind of just that natural, um, very intuitive relationship and happy to talk more about that. But really where granola butter came in was in my recovery. A lot of that process was actually adding the foods back into my diet that I had restricted for a really long time. So I was terrified of peanut butter, was terrified of almond butter because all of the calories. And so as I started to add those back in, you know, I, I love those foods. I'm not allergic or anything, but my gut was really just not well-equipped to handle them. You know, I think after years of restricting and binging and just treating my body like trash, you know, my internal health was not great to be honest. And so I had a hard time digesting nuts. They're pretty dense. So they can be hard for, you know, some people to digest. And so I started looking, okay, what else is on the market that I can eat? So I found sunflower seed butter, soy nut butter, you know, all of these different spreads. And I did not like them, like nothing against those companies or those products. But for me personally, like I loved peanut butter. I loved almond butter. And I tried those and I was like, oh my God, like this is the only nut-free option. Like that sucks for people that have allergies. So I was so determined because I had quit on recovery so many times. I was determined not to use that as an excuse because I could easily be like, okay, I'll just like not eat them, right? And I was like, no, I'm gonna create something else. So I was like in my tiny San Francisco kitchen and I was kind of just in this like mad scientist head space. And I was like, all right, what can I create into a butter, you know? And I was making granola at the time, like homemade granola. And I was like, oh my God, I had this epiphany. Like, you know, Oatly was doing oat milk. What if there was an oat-based spread? And of course, kind of like a raw oat spread would be terrible, but I was like, what about granola? Like it's toasted, it's delicious, it has more flavor. And so I started blending up granola in my Vitamix blender with some coconut oil. And it was just wild. Like, you know, the first time I tried it and it was our first iteration, which everyone knows first iteration is just absolute trash. Even that I was like, there is something here. Like I would have this wow moment. I had my boyfriend try it. He was in the other room and he was like, whoa, you know, and he's not even a foodie. And so from that moment on, and I Googled it on my phone, there was nothing out there. I'm like, how has no one thought of this? This is wild. But I was working in tech in San Francisco full-time. My boyfriend was a tech consultant. Like we were very happy in our full-time jobs. It wasn't this stereotypical story where it was like, oh, I hated my job. I was dying to get out. Like I was living the startup San Francisco life and loving it. And so I was kind of like, I don't want to leave to start a food company. That sounds really scary to me. I was very risk averse at the time. And my boyfriend, actually, he was working for Accenture. So he was a consultant, always just very entrepreneurial. He was really the one that was like, no, like there is something here. We should at least try it, you know, side hustle. And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of people have this, this thought of entrepreneurship as like, okay, you were born an entrepreneur. Like you were born selling a lemonade, you know, out of your lemonade stand and then going on to start your own side hustle. No, like I was never that way. I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I actually was pre-med in college because I was like, what is the most safe, right. <laughs> like predictable path? <laughs> the complete become, opposite. Become a doctor. And um, and so I was really afraid of risk, but I think, and I've never been driven by money. I think that's another thing. People who are entrepreneurial, very money driven. No, I'm more driven by I love like 
what really lights me up is the wow factor. I love to like wow people and impress people. And that is sort of my, um, and so I think it's important to know what drives you, but I say that because I never saw myself as an entrepreneur, which is, you know, I had tons of ideas growing up, but I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, that's not me. So for anyone listening, you totally could be an entrepreneur. Maybe just, it doesn't fit into that kind of, you know, society, societal box um, of what that is. So long story short, fast forward, we, this was 2017, September, 2017, when I had the idea, we launched March, 2018, and we launched on Instagram of all things, because I actually had started documenting about my recovery journey on Instagram as any millennial does and started to gain a little bit of a following just because I was so honest and transparent and vulnerable. And it wasn't in the way Mm -hmm. that people share now. I think it's almost become kind of cliche and like trendy to be vulnerable. Like it was ugly. It was like me taking like an ugly kind of like dimly lit selfie of, you know, Hey, I just binged on jar of peanut butter. Like here's my aftermath, just brain dump thoughts. Right. And just very in the moment raw. And I never, you know, went into it being like, I'm going to become an influencer because influencers weren't even a thing at at that point, you know, and I was just sharing and hoping to find a community and other people that were going through it because in my life, everyone else just seemingly had this beautiful relationship with food. And I felt very alone and very isolated. So anyways, I had about 10,000 followers at the time when we launched And I was like, this would be a good kind of test market, you know, and selfishly, I was like, these people already sort of support me. They've already seen me in my darkest moment. So I was like, maybe they'll care about this, like food thing that I'm doing. Um, And so it wasn't this like, you know, viral pre-order launch or anything like that, but it was, you know, friends and family and people that follow me on Instagram. And I say that again, because people have a tendency to just like over-sexualize entrepreneurship and the journey. And like, Mm -hmm. for us, like, it wasn't this, like, people were kind of like, that's cool. You know, it was like a lot of my friends and family that were like humoring us and buying a jar, but we really built it like slowly and steadily. Um, And then eventually, you know, we can get into more down the line, but left my full-time job. Eric left his full-time job and, you know, got into Whole Foods and then eventually, other stores and then shark tank. And so it was just this kind of slow, steady build, but yeah, that's sort of just the genesis of how it started. Oh, I love the start and how it kind of like you almost surprised yourself. Was it the push from your partner or was there other things that influenced you to be like, I can make this how I want it to be, how entrepreneurship feels good to me versus what I thought it was before. Like, what was that shift for you? Or was it really just that encouragement from your boyfriend? Yeah. You know what it was, Natasha? It was like, I think deep down, I always knew that I had it in me, but it was so Mm. buried. And it was so like who I was just even a few years ago is so night and day different Mm. from who I am today. Like I have done so much self-work outside of just starting the business, but also being a business owner, as you probably know, like you can't be a people pleaser. If you're a business owner, you have to really go inward and learn a lot about yourself. And so I, and so I think looking back now, I love this question because I've never been asked it before. And it actually, I feel like I do a lot of inner, like introspective work on podcasts because it's like people ask you questions you don't think about (laughs) on your day, in your day to day, but no, it really was like, I mean, it was that initial push, but I just, from day one had this like inner knowing, and I can't explain it. And I think every founder kind of feels that otherwise you wouldn't be putting in all this effort and all this work, but it was just this inner knowing of like, yes, like this feels so right. And I think up until that point, everything I had been doing, whether it be, you know, being pre-med in college and, you know, doing that path to working in 
like the tech startup, it was like, it was nice, but it was always something was a little off. You know, I was always like sort of swimming upstream and it always felt like I was kind of going against what my, you know, and I don't know how woo woo you are or how your audience is, but like really what my soul's journey was here to do and to accomplish. Mm -hmm. It always felt like I was kind of just fighting a little harder than everyone else. And, you know, I worked really hard and I, you know, feel like I'm somewhat intelligent. So like it worked out for me, but it didn't feel like it clicked. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time in my life where I just had this like full body. Yes. And so, yes, it was, you know, my partner was giving me that extra confidence and those words of affirmation, because that's Mm -hmm. my love language, but it was really, it came from within. And I, I'm not going to lie and say it was easy from there on out because it definitely wasn't. And I think the scariest part actually was leaving my full-time job. Cause I was like, holy shit. Like now it's just, it's me. Like I have to sink or swim. Mm-hmm. And from this point on, you know, it really is up to me whether or not we succeed. And so that can be really inspiring and empowering for a lot of people, but it can also be really scary. And I felt definitely a combination of the two. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of, especially the women listening right now can resonate with those feelings of doing what you should be doing and almost like doling the fire that you maybe feel around that there could be more. I could be more excited about this. I could be leaning into my strengths better. I could be expanding more. And I feel like sometimes we think, well, no, that's, that's too much. That's too scary. So like, let's not even consider it. So I I feel like a lot of people can definitely resonate with that. So I love that you shared that. And it kind of got me thinking of like, so let's talk about like quitting your full-time job. Like, was it, did you have to have set certain things set up? Was it kind of just like, okay, I just got to do it right now because things are taking off. Or was it like for things to take off? I have to do this. Like, what was that like? Cause I know that's definitely the pivotal moment for a lot of people. And it sounds like for you as well. Yeah, definitely. No, I I mean, I think every path is so different. I think for me, I'm going to share my experience, but everyone's background is is different. Everyone's financial situation is different. Mm -hmm. So again, I was working in tech and I'll be super transparent with your audience. Like I was in a very entry-level marketing position making about, I think I was making like 75 K a year, which in the tech world, is very low, but in, you know, society is like decent, pretty good. But I was also living in San Francisco, which I was paying, you know, close to $2,000 a month for a room in a five bedroom (laughs) house. So it's, you know, comical, so expensive. And so, you know, I think my financial situation, I, I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck, but I definitely wasn't, I didn't feel like I had a ton saved in the bank. Right. So I didn't feel comfortable leaving my full-time job, which is why I ended up working as a side hustle on, you know, Oat House for almost a year. And so in that year, I pretty much disappeared off the face of the earth. Like my friends, you know, I was super social. I was going to happy hours. I was doing all these things. And all I really did was like, go to work, come home, work on Oat House, wake up, work at on Oat House, go to actual work. And it was just like weekends didn't exist. And so during that time, I saved a little bit more money because I wasn't going out all the time. But, you know, also it helps having my boyfriend who is a co-founder. And then we actually haven't mentioned my third co-founder yet, Ari. Um, He's sort of our culinary wizard and and he came into the picture as well. But having more co-founders, I think, does help as well. Um, I know Eric also contributed a little bit of money in the beginning. But really, I think what's important to take into consideration if you're thinking about starting a business is really being real with yourself. So I saved up about six months worth of just like a little cushion fund for myself where I was like, okay, you know, 
if shit hits the fan, like I'm, I can live for six months and then, you know, I'll have to go find a job and like, whatever. But I kind of gave myself that six month runway and everyone's comfort level is different. Some people are just like, you know, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll I'll build the plane as I'm falling, or I don't know that metaphor (laughs) saying is. And some people are like, I need like a year, I need a year and a half. So it's, everyone is different. But I think my situation was a little unique because I was starting to make money on Instagram. I kind of saw where I was like, okay, I can put more time into Instagram and maybe have some sort of support there too. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also, you know, Eric was, he had some from working at Accenture and, and his savings, but if that's not your situation, you can also get a bit, a small business loan. Um, there are lots of grants. So like, if you are a person of color or a female founder, um, or you come from a low income background, there's a lot of grants that are available. Also, you can just raise money from investors, angel investors. Um, so we actually bootstrapped our company for the first three years or so. Um, and then we raised about 650 K on like a safe note, friends and family round. Um, but you know, again, that to me feels like a privilege being able to bootstrap your company is a privilege inherently, even though, you know, San Francisco is expensive and my income wasn't like a software engineer. Still, not everyone can do that. Some people are moms. Some people are working two jobs and they are living paycheck to paycheck. So I say those other options just because there's no right path to start a business. You know, we kind of did the bootstrap route just because we were like, well, we're going to just work on this as a side hustle, test the concept. We weren't really like this all in, in the beginning, um, which I think a lot of people don't talk about either. Cause again, there's this narrative of like, you know, I quit my job. And then I was like full speed ahead. I was kind of like, you know, instead of jumping off a cliff, I was, you know, stepping off a curb really. Like it was more just a, I don't know, more risk averse way to do it, but there's no right or wrong. That was just sort of our path. Yeah. And I love that you share that because I do think there's, we all assume and see and think there's a certain way that it needs to be done and that you just have to drop everything and that it's just going to work. But, um, there's so many different ways to do it and really being in tune with what you need and your lifestyle and, and really what you're, what you're comfortable with, because that comfort level is also what you're going to use to like propel growing the business, which takes so much financial energy, brain energy. And that makes me think of the branding of Oat House. I feel like it is so unique and fun and car colorful and like a whole party, which I know is like the whole vibe. Right. So like, where did that, yeah, you're like, yeah, that's what I wanted. <laughs> so like, how did you come up with that? Like, how did you come up with the brand of the product? Did you go into it new knowing you wanted it to feel different than like any crusty, rusty nut butter on the stand <laughs> or how did, how did you go in thinking of the branding? Cause it's amazing. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. The branding process. Oh my God. It was such a journey. So we actually started our brand used to be called queen and where that brand name came from was my Instagram handle. People always have these like very heartfelt, like deep, you know, connections with this is where the name came from. And it was like, so metaphorical, literally my Instagram handle. I, this was like pre even thinking of granola butter. I, it was avo queen because I was like, Oh, I love avocados. And then the traditional Q U E spelling was taken. So I was like, okay, I'll do like the phonetic spelling. And then, you know, from there, when we started the business, I'm like, oh, queen, like treat yourself like a queen, you know, eat like royalty. Like that kind of came to me just because for so long I had treated myself like shit. So I was like, okay, well, you know, this is the opposite. 
And then, you know, the branding, it's just like, it's funny in the beginning, God, you look back, like when you're in it, you're like, oh my God, this looks so good. And I'm sure in like a few years, I'm going to look back at what we're doing now. I'm like, oh God, that was embarrassing. But you like, you really think, I mean, Eric was my partner designing stuff on illustrator. We were printing it literally at FedEx, like these kind of glossy labels, putting them on by hand. And I can send you old pictures. It, they are, it's so bad. It's like that TikTok sound. Like it's so bad. I want to give it a zero, but that's not possible. So I give it a one, like it was that bad, but you know, then we were kind of, and that got us so far. And I think people also, that kind of gives it that small business feel and people want to support oh you. Right. But we got to this point where, you know, we had one, I think it was like second place in this pitch startup competition. And one of the prizes was, you know, some subsidized work with a professional New York city branding agency. So I was like, Oh my God, this is a sign. And so we really kind of left it, you know, to the professionals. And that whole process is amazing. Because again, you learn a lot about your mission and your values. They take you through this questionnaire, you know, what do you want to evoke in people, et cetera. And I think what I realized and something I haven't even actually put the pieces together on until very recently while I was in this amazing therapy session was that, and this is going to go deep. And this is like, I know it seems kind of off, off topic, but it all ties it together. Actually my childhood, my mom, she's amazing, but she was very, very fun. Like the kind of the mom that's like taking shots with your high school friends. And I felt in my childhood and I, we've taught her and I've had a deep conversation about this. So I'm not like talking about this again behind her back. Um, you know, I had to really parent myself and I felt like I was alone a lot of times, you know, and she was a dentist, had her own practice. So she was working all the time. And I really felt like from day one, I was the mom in the relationship. And I was this kind of adult, you know, this little adult, she always called me. And so I really felt like I was, didn't have a childhood. I was robbed of this, you know, childlike wonder, this play. And so really this company, and I've always been so obsessed with like childlike wonder and play and fun. And I never knew why. And I think it was because I never had that. And, you know, you're always attracted and you're always drawn to things that you never had. And so I think this company is really just me unlearning all of that adulting and kind of coming back and coming home, you know, to myself as a child. And I know that sounds like really heavy and deep. And I, again, didn't know this until very recently. And I just was like, oh yeah, like I love fun. And then also with my eating disorder recovery, I was so rigid with food, et cetera. And it's like, you know, just encouraging people to lighten up and encouraging people to have fun with food and get back to this place when you were a kid and you were like, oh yeah, that sounds good. And you were like smearing shit all over the place. And it was just fun. And, you know, no one was there to be like, oh my God, don't do that. That's embarrassing. That's wrong. So I think we've all had this moment where, you know, someone tells us, you know, stop or like be quiet and you have to kind of shrink yourself and do less and be less. Mm -hmm. And so I think with Oat House, it's like just encouraging people to kind of break out of that and just be more and be bigger. Because I think in this world, like there's too many rules, they're important, right? (laughs) For society, but like there's, you know, there's too many of us that can be so much bigger and have so much more fun and be more expansive but we tell ourselves no before we even try. So again, that was a long-winded way of saying that, you know, the branding and the the mission really came from just my own journey. And so, you know, I, I explained all this to the branding agency and they really brought it to life. But I think for, if you're a founder listening or you want to start your own thing, you know, really get quiet. Maybe that's meditation. Maybe that's walking, movement, dancing, and like really tap in and go within and don't think about like what's trendy, what's cool right now. Like what is a really authentic, true 
genuine expression of yourself and what do you want to bring into the world and what do you want to express to people? And then, you know, you can work with professionals or designers and they'll help actually bring that to life and make that a reality. But um, yeah, I think it has to be really authentic because the last brand, it was like, we had all this marble and it was very like white and clean and chic. And mm. I just, I don't know, like, I felt like it was cool and I felt like that's what it should be. And it was different from the other nut butters still on the shelf, but I was like, it's not me. Like I'm kind of messy. I'm kind of loud. I'm, I love color. And so, yeah, this kind of next iteration really fit us a lot better. Yeah. And I feel like it also like fits the product, right? It's like completely different than what a lot of people think of. They, they like are kind of unsure and then they taste it and they're like, Oh, and so I feel like it speaks to that, but also this common theme that I feel like you've really been speaking on is like almost like the self-discovery that comes with entrepreneurship that like no one can fully describe to you of like the breakdowns and then like the really exciting moments and just like the really hard seasons and then like the really slow and the really busy like ebbs and flows of entrepreneurship is like it's a lot it brings out a lot and you realize so much about yourself and you like almost have to do that internal work. Um, I know my therapist tells me things all the time and I'm like, oh, so that's why I do things like that with my clients and my business, you know? So I love that you mentioned that it doesn't feel left field to me because I feel like that's like what entrepreneurship is all about. Because like, mm -hmm. if you are like having your own baggage and shit, like that will literally hold you back from like truly growing that vision. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean that, and that is why I think also why I'm so passionate about sharing like the down moments and kind of like when you're in the muck, because before, like I, I was like searching on social media and like, show me someone who's going through the same thing I am. And what you realize is when you start to share, when you start to be very open about these down moments, people come out of the freaking woodwork and they're like, Oh my God, I'm going through that too. I'm going through that too. You're like, Where were you people? Like when I was struggling, right. I was the only one. And it's like, what's so comforting is learning that, you know, I have never had one unique human experience in my entire life. Like we are all going, going through the same thing, just maybe at different times or in slightly different ways. And so with entrepreneurship, it just brings all of that to the surface because, you know, you don't have this like corporate sort of these corporate norms that will, I don't know, maybe mask it, or maybe it's because you're alone, or maybe because it just brings up so many emotions, like you said, of like the high highs and the low lows, but it is very challenging. And I really don't think it's for everyone. And I don't think that it's, you know, you're not any less than if you have a nine to five, like there are so many things I miss about my nine to five, you know, like vacations and weekends and like, you know, healthcare. Yeah. So I think also that's, I'm very passionate about that too. Like sharing the downside, not to be a downer because it's so rewarding and there's so many high highs, but you know, even with shark tank, for example, it's like we aired and that whole journey, of course, it's like the enjoyment in the process too, but it's like, you see yourself on national TV and it's exciting for like five seconds. Right. Yeah. And then you're kind of like, and then whew, I had this depression after Shark Tank, actually, which I think a lot of people talk about with the Olympics or a wedding or even a birthday on a small scale. It's kind of this like down moment where it's like every the whole world's talking about you, you know, and this is all your ego. And then it just yeah. like, you're forgotten and it's like on to the next. Mm. And that was really hard for me. I wasn't expecting that because I've never been obviously on national TV before. And it kind of showed me like, wow, like I've been prepping for this. I mean, we applied in February, it aired in October, you know, so 
eight months of just like prepping for this moment. And then it was over. And I think that really opened my eyes to like, okay, what's going to happen if we sell our business, right? Like, so it showed me, I can't live for this end moment. I can't live for, you know, this acquisition or this exit, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs are working towards. You have to find joy in the everyday, even the down days, like you can find a little bit of joy. You can find a little bit of fulfillment. Um, and it doesn't have to be like a fabricated joy, just like being present and being in the moment. Because if you live for that exit, if you live for that acquisition, you're going to get there, it's going to go and it's going to be exciting for a split second. And then what, you know, what's the next thing. And I think our human brain is wired that way. So it's not about beating yourself up. If you tend to shift towards that and being very forward thinking, but just being aware of it and really trying to practice, you know, again, mindfulness, presence, all of that. Um, yeah, sorry. I think I went like way off of what your question. No, but I mean, we got to talk about Shark Tank. So let's dive right on into it. So yeah. Like tell us what that's really like. Cause I think like people in general, but especially entrepreneurs are just always so fascinated by Shark Tank. Um, it gets our gears running. We always wonder like, what if we had something to show on the show? And yeah, there's like all that prep that goes into it. It's this big moment. I'm sure we saw some of it, but we, I'm sure we didn't see all of it. I'm sure there was other things that were going on. And then there's like the aftermath of like, what does that look like in your business? And yeah, I know acquisition was like a big conversation with the sharks when you were in the tank. So just like, give us a little taste. I know there's a lot, we probably could talk about it for like a long time, but like, give us a a taste of what it was like to be in the shark tank. Yes. Yes. I will give you a taste. Um, yes. So, I mean, wow. So many things. So again, this was our fourth time applying. So we applied three times before that. And the third time we applied, we got to the final round. And then they were like, I don't even remember what the reason was. I think they said they had too many food companies or something. I was like, just, I thought they were just letting me down easy. You know, I'm like, it's fine. You can tell me no. Like I've heard many no's in my career. Um, and so I was kind of just wrote it off. I'm like, all right, this isn't going to happen for us. It's fine. But you know, the application process, it's a long, it's a long thing, right? It's like a very in-depth thing. And so they actually reached out to us in February. We had just moved to Philly. So I'm actually from all three of our founders are from California, two from San Diego, and then Eric's from Santa Barbara. And our business was founded in San Francisco. So very West coast oriented. I've never lived outside California. I know. And, um, but it got too expensive with, you know, we have our own facility and we needed to expand. So we're like, all right, we're going to look outside California. We end up moving to Philly in the middle of winter. Like this was just crazy during, you know, height of COVID it was wild and moving a facility is like different from moving your house. It's, it's an undertaking. And, um, so anyways, we had like not even gotten settled and then shark tank reaches out to us and they're like, Hey, you know, we remember you guys from last season. Like, we just want to invite you to apply. So they weren't like, you guys are in, it was like, you have to go through the whole process again. And we were like, Oh, like, it was just like, kind of part of me was like, you know, again, it was that ego and that kind of me shutting myself down before even applying where I was like, no, like, I don't want to set myself up for disappointment again, kind of that protective layer. And then there's this other part of me that was like, well, they reached out to you. So maybe there's something there, you know, it's like, you got it and you'll always regret it if you don't just apply. So I was like, all right, got to do it. So we do it again. And I think the biggest difference too, was like the first time we applied or the last time we applied the third time, we were very like trying to be like trying to be more professional and more like businessy than we actually were. And this time, like in the video, I was like, we were just being 
unhinged. Like I was like, let's just be us. It kind of looked as if we were like kind of drunk, but we weren't, you know, we were just like being like fully us and like playing. And again, it goes back to just like living big and being big. And I was like, this is a TV show. Like, honestly, there is no such thing as being like over the top. So I was like, let's just go for it. Like, this is our one chance. So, you know, Ari was like playing the ukulele. There was just a lot going on and they got back to us and we're like, oh my God, we love it. You know, we want to move forward. So then from February until July, it was like lots of interviews, et cetera. We fly to LA, film at Sony Pictures in July. We're there for a hot second, like 24 hours. And it's wild because when you're pitching, you know, everything is live, obviously. And it's just, it's this bizarre experience where out of body really because I'm kind of used to at least you know talking to my phone camera but this is different I almost like blacked out like because you forget to breathe like there's hot lights on you it's just crazy and then people you know they're just rapid fire asking you questions and so it was a really wild experience I don't know how long we were out there again I blacked out but I want to say probably like 45 minutes to an hour And then they cut it down to, you know, our segment was probably like five minutes or something. So like, I mean, this is all common knowledge. Like, of course, you know, it's TV, they edit it. Um, Like they're not going to show everything, but yeah. But what was crazy was like, then we flew home and then we have no idea if we're going to air. So they air about half of the episodes that they film, I think. Um, And so they, and they let you know two weeks before you air. So we were I think we aired like mid October. So we just got an email one Friday night. I remember so distinctly where we were. It was like 8 30 PM. We had worked almost like a, I want to say it was like a 12, 13 hour day in the facility. Cause we've had a really hard time staffing in our facility because we manufacture everything ourselves. So Eric and I are literally like filling jars, just delirious, like so tired. It's Friday night. We're like, we just, I'm picturing all my friends like out drinking and we're just like, what are we doing? You know, it was like one of those moments where I'm like, fuck this. And we get the email and I'm just like, oh my God, like we're going to be on Shark Tank is so crazy. And again, that was one of those high highs, right? Where it's like, those are the moments you live for, but how crazy that juxtaposition between right before that, I was like on the verge of tears where I'm like, oh my God, like we're in the facility at like 9 PM on a Friday, like this sucks, you know? So it's just like so dramatic. And then we aired and I was just, the scary thing about airing is the rest of America finds out how you're portrayed at the same time, you know, right? Like you have no idea what the edit's going to be like. You don't know if you're going to look like a fucking idiot or you're going to look like this, you know, entrepreneurial mastermind. So that was really scary. I had really high anxiety that entire day. Um, and then, yeah, you know, the acquisition and all that was an issue for one of them. Um, but I think overall it just, it was such a cool experience and like, you know, yes or no deal or no deal. Like I was just excited. I was happy to be there. I was happy to be invited. And I think it was one of those bucket list moments where like, again, it's all about the experience, all about the journey leading up to it. And it was just, yeah, it was very, um, surreal. So I'm sure. And I'm curious. So like the 45 minutes to five minutes and that kind of waiting of like, how are we going to be portrayed? Like, was it, was it surprising to watch yourself back or were you like, Oh, we killed it. Or you're like, Oh, like maybe they focus too much on one thing. Like, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts were maybe, maybe in the moment and probably now are probably different too, right? Like your reaction that day to now I'm sure has changed a little too. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like for us, you know, you're always going to want 
like as an entrepreneur, like you at least want people to offer you a deal, right? Like you at least want to feel wanted. And I think, and that's kind of what I expressed in like the post interview, right? I was like, I kind of just felt like, you know, they didn't see the vision, which is fine. Like not everyone has to, um, again, like would I have wanted to have this celebratory, like, Oh my God, we got a deal, you know, of course, of course. And so, you know, I think like when we were out there, again, that's another thing too, is like, there was so much that they didn't show. Right. And like, you, you don't know what they're going to pick and they want to show, you know, what's good TV. And like, they wanted to show my story, which I, I feel really grateful for that piece. And I had so many, like, you know, even husbands of, of people reaching out to me being like, Oh, my wife has struggled with an eating disorder. Like what helped you? What are some resources? And it just was so beautiful, that side of things, like being able to connect with people on that stage and that platform, because of course I've done it on Instagram, but like my 50,000 followers compared to like millions of people who are watching is very different. So yeah, I think there was a lot of emotions, you know, of course you, like for me, I'm very hard on myself. So like looking back and watching it, we didn't have a watch party or anything. Cause I was like, that sounds like my nightmare. Like yeah. I, it was just us three founders, like, and we took a video of us watching it and it was like a lot of this, like, you know, oh, no. a lot of like, Oh, and just like cringe. Like, cause when you're out there, you know, you're nervous and yeah, it's just, you act. I mean, I was being myself, but you know, of course, like hindsight's 2020. Like, yeah. TV, and I'm like, Oh, you're in front of the sharks. Yeah. Right. And so like looking back, I'm like, Oh, cringe or like, Oh. And so you get a lot of, like, we had some messages from people after, cause there was this one part and it was so minor. It's like, I didn't think that people were going to come for me for this, but Eric, we had said like, Eric and I were together for eight years. And then one of the sharks was like, Oh, you aren't engaged yet. And then they like zoomed in on Eric. And then of course, like I go on Reddit and like read, you know, all of the like trolls after our episode. And everyone's just like talking about our relationship. I got all these DMS of people being like, your boyfriend's gay. Like he doesn't love you. Like just like weird, you know, like things like that, where it's like, yeah, it's, I can't imagine like being an actual celebrity or actually someone who is on TV. And so I think that's something too, that it opened my eyes of like, wow, like people kind of always want this fame and this limelight. And I'm like, actually, like, I don't think I would, you know? So that kind of opened my eyes, but those were just like little things. And I think all in all, like it brought us three founders so much closer together. Mm. It really, I feel like I learned a lot and I became more confident in just like presenting and obviously (laughs) just like you're thrown into this, but, um, but yeah, all in all, it was again, like a crazy experience and again, like entrepreneurship up and down emotionally. So totally. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all the insights. Yeah. I think it's really, really interesting. And I feel like I, it keeps coming back to this like layer of authenticity and kind of like, where are you even like started and like dipping your toe into putting granola in a blender of like, I'm just sharing my recovery. Um, you've obviously built your own personal brand since then you, that's become a layer of like oat houses brand, especially on Instagram. Obviously I, I really want to talk about the Instagram side of things because I feel like it's how you do Instagram is so needed and refreshing. And we we were saying earlier about how like authenticity has become such a trend. How do you maintain that still? Because I feel like I didn't follow you way, way, way back when, when you, you know, initially launched it to 10,000 followers. But I feel like when I see your content, I see you, I see the story, I see your why, I see all the things we even talk about today. And I feel like that's really powerful and a missing piece a lot of people have. So like, 
what do you, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? I know it's like a lot to unpack, but I feel like it's a really important part of it. Totally. I have a lot of thoughts on that. I think, you know, when I first, again, when I first started, I wasn't in this, you know, I don't know, mission or I wasn't in this journey to getting more followers. I wasn't in this journey to like becoming an influencer. I didn't even think again, that it was, I couldn't monetize it. I had no idea. And so it really was just like this online diary. It was honestly like a mini short form blog post every time I would share. And I didn't know who was listening. I didn't really care. It was just me putting my thoughts out there. And I knew that after I posted and after I shared my authentic, like raw, real thoughts, I felt lighter. And I just kept doing that because it made me feel better. And it was sort of my therapy. And then as my account grew and I started to monetize and started to support myself with that, I feel like it became harder to do that because I was like, well, you know, what am I going to, like, if I share a picture of me and my belly rolls, like that gets way more likes and that gets way more engagement than something else. So then it started to just, you know, human nature, my brain started to like optimize for performance and for likes and comments. And so I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily that this vulnerability has become a trend because, you know, it's still helping people and, you know, whether or not something is authentic, like I'm not the judge of that. Only the person posting is the judge of that. But for me, everything that I've done has been very authentic and through the lens of trying to help people. But, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, there hasn't been moments where I've shared something to, you know, get more engagement or to, you know, kind of stand out from the noise because it's hard you have to be relevant on social media you kind of have to do things bigger and crazier and more out of the box you know than the next person and i don't think that's a very healthy culture you know not just for society in general but for the creator too because you're always feeling like you're not doing enough and you're not sharing enough and so it's sort of this hamster wheel that i found myself on so i really took a step back probably about a year ago where I didn't take like a social media break or anything, but I think I just internally sort of reevaluated. What am I sharing? Is this authentic to me? And I sort of just hit this moment where it's like, I don't care how many followers I have. Like my business is my passion. I never wanted to be an influencer as my full-time job. No, you know, no shade to anyone who does that as a full-time job, but just for me, I'm like, my, my business is my passion. So this is sort of a nice marketing channel. This is something, a, a diary, you know, an outlet for me. And once I shifted that mentally, like it was so much healthier for me and I wasn't hung up on the numbers. And in fact, like my account hasn't really grown since then. Like I'm sure if I, you know, was like, Oh, Instagram is optimizing for reels, So I'm just going to crank out all these crazy reels. Like yeah. I could have a hundred thousand followers, but that didn't feel good to me. And again, like I don't know. It just wasn't authentic to me. And so I think the audience can really feel that. And so I really have come to this place where it's like, I don't care about the number of followers. I'm just grateful for the followers I have. And I don't, I honestly don't say that from like a cliche standpoint. Like I really love the community that I've built because it's so supportive. There's no like, you know, mean people, like there's no trolls. And it's just people that really, I feel like support me from an authentic, genuine place because I have been sharing authentically and genuinely. And in this, through this lens of like, how can I serve you? How can I support you guys in your journey? And I think most recently, like honestly, since November, I've been on this, like, I hate to say spiritual awakening because it's so like wellness, like cliche wellness, white woman, but it's like, I really have gone inward. And I think for so long, I didn't, I I meditated just because everyone else told me to, or Mm -hmm. I journaled because like, that's what the wellness world said to do. But 
I never really stopped to like learn about who I was as a person. So I've been working with, I mean, I've been going to therapy every single week, doing a lot of somatic body work to like reconnect with my body after years of just living very neck up. Um, and that's been really helpful. And so I think I'm sort of, again, sharing in the moment, raw, real, as I'm learning these things. And it's not this curated, like, Hey guys, like now that I'm better, here's what I did. It's really just like me crying, me healing, you know, and if people are uncomfortable with that, like I'm not the right page for you because I, I share very openly and, and I emote a lot. And so, um, and that's been really instrumental in my healing journey as well. Cause I used to use food to suppress my emotions. And so I was someone who never cried and now I cry like a commercial. <laughs> so yeah. it's been a huge thing, but, but yeah, to answer your question, I think full circle, like there's nothing wrong with even this fake vulnerability online, because I think that's so much better than people walking around pretending to have their shit together. Right. Cause like that right. doesn't help anyone. Yeah. I feel like all from that, I've heard this layer of wanting to just serve your community, not focusing on more, but just like how you can serve them better. And also just this deeper enjoyment on like how you want to create and also the shift of like, I want it to grow my business and that's okay that it's different than I just wanted to share my life and my journey and my experience and, and me healing. How can my Instagram evolve with me, which I feel like not enough people really think about and consider. So I feel like that is really powerful. And, um, what I love so much about Oat House's Instagram specifically is that I think a lot of product brands think they need to take Instagram so seriously. Um, but I feel like with TikTok, one of my favorite things about it, that it's kind of influenced across social media is that people are using social media to connect with other humans. Mm. And I feel like when product brands can embrace that, that they can see such a richer environment on social media. And, and that's what I love that not only you have your own Instagram and you're, you're figuring that out and you're having fun with it. And like, you're pouring into your community, but like, you're also kind of doing the same thing on Oat House's Instagram, which I feel like I don't see a lot of people doing. So what is like the strategy behind how you guys are curating content on Oat House's Instagram? And do you have any other tips for product brands that are like kind of inspired to maybe step more into that? Oh my God. A thousand percent. Yeah. So I think it really, again, when we started the Oat House Instagram account, like it's weird to think about this, but I even was thinking, do I start a separate account or is this just, you know, do I just share parts of my day doing the business thing and then my personal life? And so you can see like from the beginning, it was just me sharing. It wasn't like I never separated it from this entity. And I think even to this day, it's two separate accounts, but they're both me. They're just different versions of me. It's like the personal life alley and the founder alley, you know? And I think, so, you know, yes, we have, I have a marketing team now and I have people, you know, that help me create the graphics and, and all of that. But it's like stories, like I just show up and I record and I post, there's nothing planned. There's nothing strategized. Mm -hmm. It really is raw. And in the moment, and I have something just for brands, I guess, on a more tactical level, I have, um, just like a chunk of time, you know, 15 to 30 minutes every day at 2 PM, uh, is my time to post outhouse stories. And again, like sometimes it's in the moment and sometimes whatever, but I think what I love doing too, is like just talking to the camera, talking about how my day is going or just like realizations, hardships, kind of whatever, just 
raw kind of real things. And I know every brand doesn't have a founder that wants to be on social media like that. I get it. But if you can have maybe someone on your team who does, it's so amazing because people want to support a person. They want to support a group of humans. They don't want to just buy from this faceless organization that could be like a drop shipping company, you know, like they don't know. And so I think that's why we've been able to connect with our, you know, and I hate to say followers, like our community on such a deeper level and our customers, because, you know, they feel like they're talking to me and they're supporting a friend. And there was no strategy behind that, but just really, that's the only way I really like showing up on social media. I don't Mm. want to come off as this like salesy slick brand with like this cool branding that's, you know, just has all these strategies and trying to increase our ROI and all this stuff. It's like, I don't know. Like, I just want to be real with people and I just wanted to show them the behind the scenes. And also like from a customer, you know, consumer standpoint, I don't follow any brands because to be honest, I feel like they're just trying to sell me shit all the time. So I was like, how from a, you know, flipping the script, like how can I create an account and like create stories that people want to watch, you know? So people love like the behind the scenes, like filling the jars, you know, seeing us ship, meeting the team. I don't know, just like random shit that we're doing at the office. Um, Our lunchtime runs, like we just started an Oathouse Run Club and like, we're all really shitty runners. So like, we're talking about, like we all signed up for a 10 mile run in May and like, you know, Ari smokes a pack of cigarettes a day. Like we're like, how is he going to do it? I don't know. We'll figure it out. But yeah. So it's kind of just like being, bringing the human back to being a brand, but not in like a curated strategic way. So to answer your question, there is not a strategy. I think it's, you know, creating content that we would want to consume, um, and just showing up as ourselves and rolling with it. Yeah. I love that. It's almost like you're shifting the strategy to be just like an intention of like how you want Instagram to feel for Oat House and like really embracing like the brand, which is that it is fun and that it is kind of like all over the place and like a really engaging and, and community driven way. And, um, it really comes across and I just loved hearing a little bit of insight of just like your story, a little of shark tank tea, like just hearing about Instagram and and I already know that everyone has been so inspired by this conversation. So thank you for your time. And thank please, you. please, please let people know where they can get them some granola butter, where they can follow you on Instagram, listen to your podcast, all the things. Yes. Oh, thank you so much, Natasha, for having me. I'm so, and thank you everyone for listening. Um, you can find us at Whole Foods on East and West Coast, um, Amazon, our website in the middle, <laughs> and then Thrive Market, Harmon, Central Market, Erewhon, many more on our site. But yeah, and then on Instagram, I'm just Ali Bonner, Oat House is Oat.house. So that's that's where you can find us. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks so much, Ali. This was great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you love the gem shared. Be sure to check out any of the important links I mentioned in the episode show notes. Don't forget to follow the show to be the first to know when our next episode airs. If you loved what you heard, I'd so appreciate it if you left us a review as it really helps support the show. I love seeing your takeaways from the episode over on the gram. So be sure to tag me in your stories at shine with Natasha. Remember, regardless of where you're at in your entrepreneurship journey, there's always room for your biz to shine. See you next time.